This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Clap, 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 clap your hands and stomp your feet. You're listening. You're listening to the Clap Your Hands Podcast. Hosted by Elliot Shore Parks and Kyle Newbeck. Here they come. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Clap Your Hands Podcast brought to you by Odyssey Sports. Make sure you hit that download button on the Odyssey app to get all the latest episodes first. Brought to you by Sports Radio 94 WIP. And Kyle, today kind of feels a bit like an emergency pod. I know the comments came out yesterday, but when we talked last week, we figured we would be doing maybe a big summer recap or, or whatever. Joel Embiid, man, he knows how to keep things interesting. How you doing today? Yeah, the rare emergency pod that happens a day after the news comes out, which came out three or four days after the interview was done, which honestly, it's really remarkable. Anytime something like this happens in like today's age and social media and how that all works for it to go like three, four days without anybody even really noticing that he said this was probably Mm -hmm. the most remarkable part of this whole saga. So, Well, I woke up... um... I was in Charlottesville this past weekend and I woke up on what's today, Tuesday. So I woke up yesterday on Monday and I saw like shout out to uh, AJ Torres. I think maybe it was that tweeted it and I saw the video and I'm like, wow, I must have missed this blowing up as a big deal. And then, yeah, it is funny how he says it a few days ago. I mean, it's kind of buried like in the 27th minute of an interview with Maverick Carter. So props to whoever decided to take and watch the full 27 minutes to get it. But for those that, I guess I've been living under a rock if you're a Sixers fan. Joel Embiid, an interview with Maverick Carter. Uh, He's asked, it's funny, they're actually talking about soccer uh, beforehand. He's saying he's a Real Madrid fan, like they're doing all that. And so he goes, all right, Joel, like, you know, busy summer for you, getting married, like, what's next? What's next for you? And he basically goes, I want to win a championship. Um, I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have it right in front of me, but he goes. Here, I have the quote. I'll I'll read the direct quote. I just want to win a championship, whatever it takes. I don't know where that's going to be, whether it's in Philly or anywhere else. I just want to have a chance to accomplish that. I want to see what that feels like to win the first one. And then you can think about the next one. And then he goes on to say some other things, but that's the. the And I thought some, some of the other things he did say, I felt were kind of important. We can get into that in a little bit, but, but obviously that's the, the headline. That's the, the shocking part of the quote. Um, you know, I say this often, but, but I say it because I mean it, you've covered Joel, uh, basically his whole career. Uh, there's not many, if any people in the city, I think have a better read on him than you. Uh, so when you see the comments, when you read them, when you watch them with everything, you know, just give me your reaction to him. Well, so I wrote, I'm going to tell you what I wrote in my article about this yesterday, and then we're going to touch on what Joel did in reality. So my Mm -hmm. prediction was that. 
once this picked up steam and Joel was going to be asked about this in a public forum, I said that when Joel gets asked that he's going to say he's not the general manager. He doesn't control trades and whether he plays in Philadelphia, he could get traded for Steph Curry, which he's said like a hundred thousand times as a joke quote right. unquote, at this point. He'll say the right things about wanting to stay and win in Philly. And he's going to pretend as if this is not mean what it actually means. And within about an hour of publishing that story, he comes out and he pretends that he was trolling essentially on Twitter mm -hmm. yesterday. And so I want to say this, like you're asking me for my insight, but I, I think this is bullshit. Like, I think it's a completely genuine feeling to have on Joel's side. If he's looking at the landscape and saying, you know, I might have to start looking toward the exit door a little bit over the next year or so, right? Because mm -hmm. if Harden gets traded and he gets traded for role players and maybe like a pick or two or whatever it is, and they're not a real contender this year, he then turns 30, he's heading into 31 and thinking, you know, what's the path for us to contend, the, us as the Sixers. And maybe they strike out in free agency. Maybe their best option next summer is a guy who doesn't deserve the full max and they have to commit to a bad deal to bring mm -hmm. another guy in. I could understand at that point, after all that's happened here between injuries, the Colangelo burner accounts, the mistakes they've made with roster building, the Horford season, all that. Like, Daryl Morey wasn't here for most of that or did all that, but he might have to be the guy who ends up cleaning it all up and, and figuring that out. And I could get all that. To say what he did in public, which he knows exactly what he's doing by saying that, right? It doesn't mean that he wants a trade right now. It means that he knows by saying that he's putting some pressure, he's exerting some pressure on Daryl Morey, on ownership, on everybody else in the front office to say that I'm not going to be satisfied with just like a punt year. I, I want to compete. I want the right people around me. And that's great. Don't fucking come out on Twitter and yes, tell me yes. that you're trolling. That's like, that's if you're going to be passive aggressive and, and do things like this, which I think is honestly fine. Like a player of his stature should feel empowered to say, I'm not just going to take a gap year, essentially, in the midst of my prime coming off of an MVP. That is completely justifiable. Regardless of what happened in the playoffs, that is an understandable emotion to have. But don't say shit like that. And then when people find out that you said it, hide your hands. Like that That's mm -hmm. nonsense. And that's the sort of stuff that you and I have talked about on this pod. Like If he's going to be a championship-level leader of this team, you have to make decisions and then stand behind them and, and not act like a little kid who got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. So when I first saw the comments on Monday morning, my initial reaction was, this is going to be a big deal. I, and I didn't know how it would be a big deal in terms of people would be mad, it would be interesting, all those things. But my initial reaction to the comments were kind of how you feel about them. And I think this all always ties back to Harden right now with the team. But there's also been reporting, whether it was yesterday or within the last few days, that Joel Embiid wants James Harden back. I believe it was actually yeah. Sam Amick yesterday uh, that that reported this, that he wants James Harden back. And he and, said it publicly. In, and he in said an it publicly. With Rachel Nichols yes, as well. He said it publicly as well. But I, I 
So when you you look at the comments through those through that lens of maybe he's not happy about this James Harden thing, maybe he's worried the trade package is going to be role players. And so if you look at the comments through that, it's basically saying, hey, man, I want to win a championship. I work really hard to make sure I'm ready to win a championship. I love that he defended the MVP thing because I think he should defend it. Um, and he's basically saying, like, I need players around me that are going to do that. Too. Yeah, I'm I'm perfectly fine with that comment. Now, I can understand why fans would be mad about it, because right now fans are really mad at Joel Embiid. And whatever he says, that's not just like, I'm sorry, we got dusted in game seven. That is going to be the reaction. But to your point, one thing people have said to me continuously on WIP, whether it's hosts, callers, whatever, is this is an unserious franchise. They don't take them seriously as contenders. They don't like the work ethic of the main players. They don't, all those things. Joel, man, this will be my advice to you as someone that has defended you. Like, if you're going to say what you're going to say, then stand by it. But then don't go on Twitter. And first of all, or just don't say it. You don't have to, or just don't say anything. Just don't comment. Just let it float out there. Right. But A, I didn't like the tweet where he puts like, it's me and you forever or whatever, dot, 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 five days, where it's like, all right, look. We know you might you're be getting about, married in five yeah, right. days. So, but, was my but, interpretation of that. Hundred percent. But it's also a double entendre in the way that he knows people right now are looking for him to comment on that video. And so the beginning part of that tweet is like, "Oh, we're going to be together. Don't worry about it." Then it's like, "Ha, just kidding." Talking about my wedding, and then someone like responds to him saying, "Come on, man, win a championship in Philly or or you know whatever." And he's like, "Hey, check my middle name." It's like Joe, man. You were funny at the beginning of your career. I enjoyed the tweets. I got news for you right now. People don't find it funny that every time you say something, you just basically do the like, hey, you guys know you can't take me seriously. It's like when he would take shots at Ben and then at the podium, like on Twitter and then at the podium, be like, oh, I don't know who that guy was. I just thought he had a nice jacket on. It's like, bro, just stand behind what you say, because what you said is defensible. What you said is defense, whether people can be mad about it, whatever. What he said, like if he decides to go that path is defensible. What's indefensible is when he does the same thing he always does on Twitter and completely negates the seriousness of what he said. Because now we sit here and it's like, oh, well, were you just kidding to rile people up? Like, that's essentially what he's saying. He's saying, look at my middle name. I'm a troll. So what, you just did this for a reaction to make people mad? And then now we're just supposed to laugh it off? Like, that really annoyed me, that part of it, because I thought there was some truth. Now, I'll also say, Joel, like, just don't don't add it in there. Just say, I really want to win a championship in Philly. I need contending play pieces around me. Adding the or anywhere, that's where, if you're going to do that, then stand by it. But don't back off of it on Twitter. Well, also, I think this it's very clear. He was not trolling. This was no. how he felt in the moment. And I would imagine, given that he's interviewing at a film festival, that he probably doesn't think this is going to get widely circulated. He's probably not thinking about it that much. To the same point as the rest of us where nothing happens for four days, essentially, and then it comes out. And now all of a sudden, oh, oh I'm, I'm trolling, I'm trolling. And right. I, we said this at points last season. I, I think there's a difference between trying to be funny and having some fun and acting like a clown. And I mm -hmm. think this skews toward you're acting like a clown. I just and look, I really like Joel. He's a, a fun guy to to deal with. I like talking with him, covering him, all that stuff. But at a certain point, and, and this should be the point, you need to realize that this kind of stuff is not going to be tolerated by the fan base, I don't think. And I well, think he doesn't seem to understand yet how mad people are 
about how last season ended. I think this is a you could get away with this four or five years ago or whatever, when there are no Mm -hmm. real stakes for this team, or you're still on the come up and it's still, oh, you know, young and fun, Joel, like what a breath of fresh air, all that stuff. Now you, and look, this is the price of being as good as he is, which is a good thing in many ways, right? You have pressure to win and deliver. It's not good enough to be talented and funny and, oh, look at what Joel tweeted. You now have the pressure of you've won an MVP award. And even before that, you were in the mix for MVP awards to be the best player for that season for the entire league. And people expect you to deliver on that sort of promise in the playoffs. Not only did he not deliver, and look, I know we can say he was injured and he's had this problem and that problem and this team this team wasn't good enough, so on and so forth. The fans want results, man, mm-hmm. and it's that simple. And they don't want to hear – I. and it's such a shame too because I thought you and I agreed on that Rachel Nichols interview where he's given James a, a lifeline – I thought that was a, an example of a mature leader yeah. who's trying to do what's best. Yes, for him, but also for the team. And then he follows it up with this bullshit and the troll, the, oh, I'm trolling. And it's like, dude, have you learned anything from, from your time here? Because you should have. Well, a couple of things. One, and I'll, ta- I'll tie Daryl Morey into this, is like then he tweets, oh, I, you, I thought I was the number one troll, but now it's actually Daryl. And Daryl's tweeting out the picture of him at the crumble cookie. And like, he tweets back at Mike, uh, you know, from Rights Ricky Sanchez, like, you're obsessed with centers. Like, Daryl, man, Daryl and Joel, I don't know if you're aware of how mad people are at this team. Like, I'm not saying it's to the point where they're going to get booed on opening night, but I wouldn't put it past it. Like, if there's another comment or two and this anger lingers, it would not surprise me if there are boos on opening night for this team. Now, again, I'm not saying they're justified, but that's just the reality of what they're walking down. And the other thing that's annoyed me in the reaction to this, and probably what's annoyed me about it is it's true, is a lot of people do the whole like, man, Jalen Hurts and Bryce Harper would never do this. You'd never see them do it. And I'm like, well, first, Joel has so much more history with this city. He bears a burden on his shoulders that Bryce Harper does not carry around. He's had a more successful career in a Sixers jersey than Bryce has had in a Philly. Like, we can go down that path. But what what like annoys me about it is it's right. I would ne- Jalen would never say like, hey, I hope I win a Super Bowl here or somewhere else, and then tweet about it the next day. Hey, you guys know me. I'm just kidding around. Bryce would never do it. Like, they wouldn't do it. And it just it sucks because Joel, in my opinion, is a better player than those players. They're all great. They're all great players. But Joel, I think, is better at basketball than, than they are at their res- respective sports. So, like, Joel is just kind of doing this to himself. But then on the flip side, I do agree. Like, I like the James Harden comment and everything. But – Kind of the main question after the frustration of this, of like, what are you doing, Joel? Is now people talk like, is he going to ask out? You see Zach Lowe say yesterday, this is something that's been simmering. The Knicks rumors always come back up. I don't think Joel is going to ask for a trade, but I do agree with you too, where if this Harden thing gets fumbled and he gets to a training camp or he gets to the end of the season and he doesn't feel that there's pieces around him, Like, I thought what he was doing in this comments were saying, hey, I will. Like, I will ask out. Whether or not, you know, I do it soon or whatever, I if I have to go elsewhere to win a championship, I will do it. How close do you think he is to doing that? eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? 
And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think they probably have at least the next year of runway to work with as much as he wouldn't want to take a quote unquote gap year. I do think that I have gotten no indication that this is like a, a short term immediate problem to deal with. One thing on that, uh, the Harper hurts stuff, mm-hmm. you know, it's really funny. And I know it's hard to compare the two sport or multi sports across schedules and seasons and whatever the, the, Funny part about the Phillies making one good playoff run with this group and look, very good playoff run is it has kind of just overshadowed the fact that if this, if they had the same winning percentage as the Sixers did in this last regular season would be the single best Philly season in their history as a franchise, it's equivalent to like winning 106 or 107 games. And that just says that the best basketball teams are better than the best baseball teams because you know, the best basketball teams are winning 60 and in some cases 70 plus games. Whereas well, if, you're a, think, the, yeah. if you're People a baseball team, you win 100 games. Yeah, It's just yeah. like unbelievable. So yeah, it, the playoff stuff is what changes it. And I know that's fair to a certain extent, but let's keep some perspective on how excited everyone is about the Phillies to be like 51 and 42 or whatever the fuck. Well, it's so funny how the Phillies, they'll like tie for the last wild card and it's like a celebration. The Sixers are in the top it's, three yeah. at all point in the East. But but this is the frustrating part of it. And it's also, it does show that really all the Sixers need to do is get out the second round. Because prior to the Phillies playoff run last year, like when they were just barely getting in, it was these guys are losers. They were super unpopular. Like, you know, not to go down this road, but there was all that vaccine stuff. Like they, they were not, right. they viewed... were thought of more for being like the anti-vax team. Yes. Than they were. Yeah. They, <laughs> they were not viewed in a favorable light, but they went on a six week stretch, which was unbelievable. One of the best runs of my life being in Philly from a sports perspective. And now they're winners and the Sixers. This is what's frustrating. Daryl Morey is great at his job. Joel Embiid earned the MVP, but they're doing this to themselves in terms of making people like, the topic on of sports today should not be people being furious at Joel Embiid. It shouldn't. Like, Joel, like, you, you've you controlled this. Now, the other part of it, like, to kind of continue to tie it back, though, is I do 
I think it's a pretty interesting revelation. I know he said it to Rachel Nichols and he meant it, but I do think it's pretty interesting revelation. Like maybe Joel is mad about how this James Harden thing is playing out. Like, do you think that Joel, you know, we could talk about, you know, is Harden worth the max? Do they need him? Like whatever. If Joel really wants him back and this is not happening, like that is a very interesting wrinkle to, to all this. Yeah. I mean, look, if you're Joel, you probably look at it from this perspective and say, this feels like a self-inflicted wound to a certain yes. extent. And Daryl being the quote unquote James Harden guy for you to allow it to get to this point. is just like, what are you doing, man? Like the, your whole thing is you're good with stars and stars are what matter and so on and so forth. And so to allow it to reach this point, is just like, what's going on here. And I can mm -hmm. totally understand the instinct from Joel to say, well, I clearly need to leverage some pressure here and put some pressure on the organization because this should not happen. And like the reason you bring in a Daryl Morey is to avoid situations like this happening. Now, Morey will sit here and the Sixers will sit here and say, it's still only as we sit here today, July 18th, and there's plenty of time to make trades and what have you. They're going to take the same position to some extent that the Blazers are. But they're not in the same position as the Blazers where if the Blazers let the Dame thing go for a while and push that into the season, they'll just tank anyway. They're going to be mm -hmm. a young team that doesn't really care. Dame doesn't show up. He's still on a contract for a few more years. The Sixers won an all-star level return for Harden, which is what I reported on Monday, where they want – there are basically two different packages they're looking for here with Harden, right? One would be – all right, we're going to try to keep the team as competitive as it can possibly be right now, either maintain the level they're at or improve on that. So that's probably a multi-team trade right now to send Harden to most likely L.A. and flip that stuff immediately for, you know, star player X. I know we've brought up Levine a lot. Zion's name was floated earlier in the offseason as like available guy. Mm -hmm. But the problem with this sort of scenario right now is that there's nobody that's like really gettable that's maybe Pascal Siakam. We'll get to in a second. The second version of that trade is that they make a deal now where they probably take a step back, but they recoup a lot of assets, a lot of picks that they can flip later for when that player becomes available. And that is probably the more realistic scenario. And that's the one that I think Joel looks at and is like, well, what does that do for me, though, right now? Getting yeah. a pick in 2028 and 2030 and pick swaps and whatever, that doesn't help Joel Embiid on the floor in October, November, December, January. So those are the two, I think, realistic paths that the Sixers see right now. And neither one of them is like, oh, man, you're really jumping for joy, unless there's a star who's more available than we know that they have something cooking on that. Yeah, and – like I'm fine with Joel feeling that way. I think Joel yes. should want the most competitive piece around him. I like Joel putting pressure on the organization. It's just, you know, before we move on, like it's when you kind of take away all the good you did by doing the joking on Twitter, then like, I, I can't sit here and be like, wow, like good job, Joel put pressure on it. When you basically come out and mock the fans, in my opinion, that were like upset about it and say that it wasn't a big deal. So all that, like, I like putting pressure on it, but it just, 
it really frustrates me. It might be the thing that frustrates me the most in Philly sports when Joel does this Twitter thing. Cause like, I know he's better than that. I know he's smarter than it. I know he's, he's a good enough player not to deal with this reaction. So we, I'm sure there will be another incident of it, but it was, uh, it was quite the quote to wake up to. Uh, and then the tweets obviously um, on vacation, but the other thing, since we've talked about Harden, I did want to get your thoughts or not just your thoughts, maybe to get you to expound on it. You reported um, that like there's some maybe some concern that Harden, this thing is not going to be pretty between the two sides. We've talked about this at length. Like my opinion has always been, I think because Harden likes his teammates, he will come in and be a good camper. He has financial incentive to do it where he's at in his career, all those things kind of break down, I guess, for those that might have missed it, and you shouldn't, it's an article on Philly Voice, but but break it down, you know, what you're hearing about the James Harden thing. Yeah, so as it was expressed to me, essentially Harden's camp, and now keep in mind, you're hearing this from multiple people. Harden's camp, I think, believes that they've handled this mostly professionally so far. And I think the initial reporting on Harden's I don't want to say trade demand, but trade requests, however you want to frame that. I don't mm-hmm. whatever. I feel like it's a demand. We, we can parse words, but I feel like yeah, it's Yeah, I mean, a, it's, it's, it's semantics at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the initial thing was communicated as they're working together to try to find a deal, mm-hmm. right? The Sixers, Harden and Harden's representation are all kind of working in conjunction with one another. And so not kumbaya or anything, but it's at least like they're kind of on the same page to that extent. And as it was expressed to me, I think the longer this goes on, the antsier that Harden and his people get, and the more they're willing to be like, listen, if this keeps going, we could press some buttons that you're not going to like. So I think the start of that is probably the stuff that's coming out from Shams and some other people that there's a a fracture and the relationship between Harden and Maury, which I think is certainly true. Like we wouldn't be here if there was a, if the relationship was as good as it had been in the past, I think they'd be able to hammer things out a little easier. I think maybe at some point you might see Harden and his camp get to the point where they're talking about whether there was some kind of handshake deal between Mm -hmm the Sixers and Harden last summer that now is not being honored because that that is really the nuclear option in the sense that that triggers if they start going public with that NBA investigations and what have you. Now, what I would say on that front, because that would be uh, CBA circumvention, essentially. Right. Uh, what I would say there is that I, I would think the Sixers believe they're covered there because they were investigated so extensively last summer, all their texts, all their emails, communications, and the league said they did nothing wrong with Harden. So that would have come out back then if there was really a traceable issue. But, you know, I, I think if Harden's camp really wants to try to cause problems, they'll play up that angle. They'll bring that to various reporters and outlets and le- start leaking things like that maybe get into more of the Tucker and house deals and how that came to gut. So I don't know what they're going to do is what I would say, but I think that's the first place you would probably look. And then of course, like beyond the, Hey, just leak stuff to the media. Then you get to training camp in late September and we know what Harden looks like when he doesn't care. He can Mm -hmm. be disruptive. He might show up out of shape. 
and can get in shape relatively quickly once he's like motivated to do so. But he could be a presence, a toxic presence if he really wants to. I still doubt that he would do that because I think that's for him hustling backwards to a certain extent, especially this deep in his career with fewer teams out there that are willing to give him you know, the money and the years that he wants. But these are all just kind of things over the horizon or on the horizon that I think the Sixers have to be prepared for. And if they don't start to make some real traction, some real progress on a potential Harden trade, then, you know, who knows what's going to happen, I think is kind of the, the word right now. Well, listening to you talk about that, the thing I think about is what we talked about in the last pod, which is like the benefits of Nick Nurse knowing what's going on. Like, do you want an out of shape, mad James Harden showing up to the first day of practice? Like forget a scheme thing, just from a, a vibe perspective of starting off the season as your first season as a head coach, that's certainly not good. I tend to agree with you still that I don't think James will do it, but I had not thought of those other nuclear options you're talking about where this agent, who, by the way, seems to just be fumbling at this at every corner. But regardless, if if they like if they're going to go out and say, you know, Daryl promised me this and blah, 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 there are potential. Yeah, you're right. Like the league could could mess with them. My thing is, I just don't know how much I care if James is mad at Daryl Morey. Like if, if he was really mad at Joel Embiid or if he, you know, I know obviously Nick Nurse wasn't the coach last year, but if he had an issue with the head coach, yeah, like doesn't want to play for nurse for whatever right. reason. Like, those yeah. are an issue. And again, if he comes in mad, that's an issue. But him and Daryl having a good relationship, I don't think that matters. Like, I, like I cover the Eagles full time. Like, if if a player's mad at Howie, like who cares? Howie's not in the locker room. Howie's not on the practice field. Howie's on the team playing, but he certainly is not where the players sit. So while Daryl, I get in the NBA, it's a bit of a tighter, smaller community. The rosters aren't as big. Dar- like, I get all that. But I don't know, man. Like, if if their card they're gonna play is Harden and Daryl, like James Harden and Daryl don't get along, okay. Like, then did then you shouldn't have opted in. And I get that they opted in with the belief that they will be traded. But when you opted into that agreement, you essentially kept very open the door. Well, you completely opened the door that the Sixers control your fate because they do control it. But also the possibility you could come back. So all like the initial set of cards they're playing. To your point about leaking it to Shams and all that that Daryl and, and uh, James will get along. Like, I don't really care. Like, I, I don't think that's that nuclear of an option to play. I mean, am I wrong to think that? Like, who cares? He doesn't like the GM. Okay. Like, you're not going to be playing with him. You're not going to be getting coached by him. Well, and to your point, I think if you look at the last two situations that he wanted out of, in Houston, it was pretty clear <laughs> that he had just run his race there. Yeah. Right? And they had they traded Russell Westbrook for John Wall, who was washed and – It was just like, well, what am I doing here? Like, what's Mm -hmm. this roster that I'm playing with? That was obviously a problem. And then in Brooklyn, the issue was predominantly with Kyrie Irving. It's not all Kyrie Irving, but he was a big factor in it. And so that was it. That had a real night-to-night impact on, all right, who am I taking the floor with? What do we have to work with here? Who's the coach? And so on and so forth. And now it's it's different. It is a a managerial front office type problem. And so you could envision a reality where he says, well, fuck it. I'm on the final year of my deal. i like my teammates. Joel's really good, blah, blah, blah. And then just decides I'm going to show up and I'm going to hoop and I'm going to, you know, we're going to let the chips fall where they may. 
But I just I think the reason that it's still a credible threat is because even if the the parties and the, the type of people that he's been mad at before are different, it's still like this guy has shown when he puts his foot down, he means it. He doesn't empty threat you. He doesn't play the good soldier when he's not happy. He makes you makes it known that he's not happy and he shows that at work and it negatively impacts your franchise. And well, so even if it's different and I agree with you, I, I think it could be different. And I think if the Sixers are trying to, to spin it and look for the silver lining, I think they have reason to do so. But the reason that it's a credible threat is because Harden has been in at least sort of similar situations before and he has dragged the whole team down with him. Well, and that's a tough part about him opting in where it's like, well, what can the Sixers do? Like Daryl and Embiid, and we talked about this, like they can throw him lifelines and they can say we really need him. And all the, like Daryl can apologize profusely and say what, but like contractually, there is nothing that can be done. James has opted in. And I do wonder, I saw this um, on ESPN, like if he's traded, he gets a trade kicker of an additional $5 million. You do wonder if maybe that's part of the reason that he really wants to be traded is just to recoup some of that money. Maybe he felt he lost by by taking his like cheaper deal last year. And the other thing I would say about that is, A, I think we've gone a little far in just saying he took $15 million less just to improve the roster. Like, James, like, A, that's kind of your bad, number one. Like, if there was a ton of money out there and you turned it down, like, sorry. B, you didn't get in, in writing. But also, like, C, you were coming off a bad year. Like, you were. Like, you were bad in the playoffs. You were hurt. You had not as much negotiating power as you do coming off this other year. So I think that James is mad at Daryl in some ways. But I also think, again, he's just projecting his poor mistakes onto Daryl in a way. And that's not to completely absolve Daryl. If if Daryl has messed this relationship up and now Joel's mad, like, Daryl holds responsibility too. But James, you also need to look at the in the mirror and say – you took less money willingly, whether whatever was promised, it wasn't in writing. Like you took less money, you opted in, which gave the Sixers control of where you go and limited what they could do for you financially. Had he opted out and was a free agent, who knows? Maybe the Sixers start to feel pressure about the nuclear options you talk about, or they like who knows? Maybe they end up giving him more money. But once you opt in, you you end that. So just add it all up. Like it just seems like a situation where. They're either going to have to trade him or he's just going to have to get, get in a better mood about this because he also holds responsibility. Yeah, and to that point, the quote he gave in the playoffs, I think it was during the Nets series, about sacrifice and how the whole year was about yeah. sacrifice for him and he was going to see what it brought back to him. There were some people who thought that was a positive. I thought the way that he said that was really telling and that it was like, sacrifice it's not true sacrifice if you're saying what does it bring me like what is it for me the <laughs> yeah, whole yeah, exactly. the whole the whole yes. basis of sacrifice is that you're just giving yourself up for others and you don't expect teammate, anything in return whether it's exactly and so look i get it he if we want to say that he could have gotten more money and he took less so that pj tucker and daniel house jr could be on the team that's great. And that's a great thing to do. You don't then just get to gloat and be like, well, then what do I get now? Like right. what you right. got were two teammates that you probably wouldn't have had otherwise who helped your team and gave you a chance to win. And you and your co-star teammate fucking no showed in the two most important games of the season. And you lost. That's what sacrifice got you because you didn't deliver when you needed to. Like 
don't you can't come back this summer and throw a hissy fit because you had an, an absolutely ridiculous meltdown in the two most important games of the year. And now it's like, well, why aren't you paying me, you know, $150 million over three seasons? Because of what we saw happen on the floor, dude. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, sorry. Sorry that the Rockets thing fell apart because they'd rather pay Fred Van Vliet the same money yeah. than you. Like, that's that's the market. That's how it works. You know, All these guys will always tell you, it's a business. It's a business. It's a business. And I understand when it comes to this level of money and you're a star who's been catered to a certain way, it's hard to set that aside. But this is the reality, man. Like, you're in your mid-30s. That hamstring issues, you have one of the most notorious playoff resumes in the league and not in a good way. And you were about to reach free agency and find out that there are not a lot of people out there that were willing to offer you a ton of money. And so the Sixers were one of the teams who kind of felt the same way. They were going to give him, I don't know what at this point exactly, they wanted him on a team-friendly deal. But this ends up working out, at least in terms of the long-term stuff, better for them than him and so well and that's the thing just... too like every decision he's made has backfired on him like taking less money for two teammates will uh, if, if you're really that upset about how you're about wanting to be the center of the offense well then to your point like you made the sacrifice like you did it and so i respect you for that but you did it and you opted in once you opt in like the sixers ability to help you is gone it, it just is like they can try to trade you to the clippers and what but it's also on Daryl to make sure it's for the betterment of the team. But to kind of wrap these two topics up in a bow before we talk about Siakam, it does make me worried about how this season could go. I have been very much in the camp of I'm okay running it back. I think they have a legit t- a chance to contend. I think continuity matters. Like I, I do believe in all that. But I also know, and you know this too from being in locker rooms, like off the court stuff matters. And the yes. tenor of these pods are is changing. Like when the season first ended, it was being mad at the team. We get all that. But then you can look and look at, you know, positivity and like they were good. But now it's Joel. Joel saying he really wants Harden back. Joel is talking about maybe not playing here. Harden's really mad at Daryl Morey. Who knows what's going to happen with that? Like, and this might be a stretch, but I don't super think it is. Like Tyrese Maxey's in a contract year. And if let's say, Two months into the season, Tyrese is not getting the opportunities he wants. Like, who knows how that plays out? Maybe he's saying, hey, like, I need more opportunities for my contract. Or when we talked earlier in the year, you said you weren't going to put me in trade rumors. I know you want, like, there is so much there bubbling under the surface that there is a worry for me that as good as they are and as much as I do think they have a, a real title, a shot to contend, like, it's a lot to manage and it's a lot to be worried about. Well, and not to compare them to the 90s Bulls, but like unlike in a scenario with the last dance, for example, those mm-hmm. guys had all won a ton of shit already when that happened, yeah. right? Where all the issues that are going on behind the scenes where Scotty's not getting paid and Jordan's going to retire and Phil's going to leave and all that stuff. They all were able to put all the personal and individual bullshit aside because they knew we've won multiple titles together. Like this is worth it. I will buy in because I know that the payoff is potentially there. Mm -hmm. Whereas this group, you could go into the season and say, you know, other than Nick Nurse, who won a title four years ago, a lot of these guys are like, well, why am I sacrificing for this group? Nobody else here has won anything, really. None of the, like, team-driving players. Joel hasn't won anything. James hasn't won anything. Tyrese certainly hasn't. 
And so you have to avoid that sort of mentality seeping into the whole team, right? You can't go into the season with guys worried about themselves and what the next thing is. Everybody has to be dialed into this season and the next goal and the next game and the next step. And that's going to be a really challenging thing. Now, luckily, Nick Nurse is not a first-year head coach. This is something that he's had some experience with high-level teams and and so on and so forth. So maybe you could sell that he's going to be able to wrangle these guys. And But I just I find it hard to believe, even though it seems likelier every passing day, that they're going to bring Harden back and everything's just going to be like, oh, yeah, everyone will line up and be happy and they're just going to put all business aside and go out there and win. I just – I don't think that's realistic. Yeah, you might be right about that. I mean, I again, my brain does tell me they're a very good team and a very good roster and a very winnable East. And maybe that's maybe that's enough. But, you know, with the Eagles, one thing I always point to is they have a very strong backbone, like the owner, GM, head coach, uh, quarterback. They're all on good pages. They're all on the same page right now. And it just doesn't feel like the Sixers have a strong backbone to lean on. To your point, like the Bulls had something they could they could like all at the end of the day look at and go, yes, this is worth it. And we all believe in it. It feels like the Sixers are on 19 different pages right now. Good news is they don't really have to be on the same page until training camp begins. So they have time, but it is concerning. Now, the well, last and thing I- one more thing on the Eagles too. Like the Eagles also have like Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson and these guys who have been there for years and years and years who have won a lot. Yeah, and Brandon won, Graham, Fletcher Cox. Won, like the, exactly. Yeah. You could go down the list. It's a lot of guys who a part of the Super Bowl team that know what it takes to get there. And these guys don't have that. They have like PJ yeah. Tucker, but PJ Tucker is in his late thirties and no disrespect to him. He's not Lane Johnson. He's not Jason mm-hmm. Kelsey at his position. He is not potentially a future hall of famer. He's a good role player, but he is not at that level and he can't command that level of respect or influence the game that as much as those guys do, which is a yeah. major difference. A hundred percent. And it puts a lot on Nick Nurse's plate. And look, it also puts a lot on Joel's plate. Cause once Joel is there in camp, if James is there, like it's on Joel too, to make sure everybody's on the same page. But one way they could like, at this point, who knows how big of a trade they'll be able to make, but we talk so much about Harden. There is still the Tobias chip and I think about that when I see the Pascal Siakam rumors. I don't think you're trading James Harden for Pascal Siakam, but I also think it probably takes more than Toby. Regardless, Pascal Siakam has been linked to the Sixers. He was they, they were mentioned as a team that had interest. You do wonder how much of that is just the agent being able to connect the dots, like Nick Nurse is there, the Sixers are looking to make moves. There's all that there. But Siakam would be a nice kind of middle ground between making a, a change to the roster to give people some hope. You, you spice things up a little bit, but you're also not making a major overhaul where you can still lean on the continuity a little bit. What do you think of the Siakam stuff? So I think he probably fits a little better than the biggest detractors would think. When So it was the year after Kawhi Leonard left. Mm-hmm. I believe he took over six threes a game. I only made about 36% of those, which not terrible. Have to, yeah. It's not terrible, but he would have to, that would have to go up a mm-hmm. little bit. But multiple time All Star, he's going to turn 29, or I think, yeah, he turned 29 in April. So it'll be 30 when, that, when the playoffs start next year. So 
guy right in the middle of what we would consider either prime or post-prime years, coming off a season where he scored 24 points a game, eight rebounds, six assists. He's a very versatile offensive player. Now, I think he's versatile in a way that doesn't necessarily raise their ceiling, and there would be some complications where can't operate from the elbows as much. Him and Joel are probably getting in each other's way. Not as natural of a fit in terms of putting those two in actions compared to Harden and Joel, right? Where it's a guard and a center and you just run all the traditional stuff that you'd run as an NBA team. Not the same for Siakam. They would get considerably better on defense. That's a team that all of a sudden you have two of your main pieces are like real defensive guys. Mm -hmm. He's a switchable playoff caliber, finals caliber defender. And that's a yeah, big one title you put. So you start envisioning it. And now I don't know what it would take to get somebody like Siakam, but let's say you have Joel, you have Siakam, you have a guy like DeAnthony Melton, another long athletic defender. That team already is starting to look like more of a, defense first tough minded team than they did a season ago and that then they have been since jimmy butler left essentially and they had that version of that team i still i don't know how you make it happen i think atlanta is probably a more likely suitor for siakam at this point where they're willing to just kind of trade a bunch of stuff to get mm -hmm. him and he's a more natural fit with someone like trey young and you don't have to worry as much about is he going to try to operate on offense from the same spots on the floor as Joel? But I think he's very good. I just think he's he's probably – he's a number two that would need a very specific number three fit that I don't know that they have. So this might be a bit of a complicated question, but the what, what it would take to get him. Like I get the Harden thing. If you remove the emotion of it all, I do not think trading James Harden for Pascal Siakam makes the Sixers better. Now, if you factor in all the, like, Harden could be a problem, Siakam comes in, and maybe there's just a better locker room, that's an interesting discussion. But, like, do you think this is more, the Sixers would be, and now they have a high bar for the Harden trade, they're willing to trade James for Siakam? Or are we looking more at, like, this is Tobias plus? Because Siakam, I believe, is also on an expiring deal, which I think makes him... A little more attractive because you're not locking yourself in to two plus years of big money after this like you think it's more of a toby trade or you think this is we could sit here one day do an emergency pod hardens on the clippers siakam's on the uh on the sixers i think it's probably more of a hardened trade wow just because well so look at it this way masai ujiri doesn't trade his guys really mm -hmm. and he sets a really he's similar to daryl and in this way where they both set very high bars on their guys and nobody clears them. It's why OG Ananobi is still on the Raptors, despite the fact that he was like the biggest name heading into last trade deadline, people saying he's available and so on and so forth. Big reason why is Masai just doesn't want to give his guys up. And so I would imagine he's going to hold out for it, despite the fact that Siakam's on an expiring contract. He's going to say you could trade for Siakam and he might change your ability to contend, right? Mm -hmm. This is not just like a – as much as I think he's been overrated at times, the stats are what they are. The guy scored – or had a line of 24, 8, and 6 
shot 48% from the field last year. Like those are really, really good numbers. You can say they're really good numbers on a bad team, but he also was able to be that efficient on a team that had basically no point guard or no yeah. guard play and no shooting and still maintain that efficiency and showed that level of versatility. So I think rightfully so, Masai is going to hold out for a fairly big deal. I don't think Tobias plus whatever poo-poo pick platter they can offer is going to get it done. You basically be offering swaps and maybe one first-round pick way down the road unless you're doing the multi-team Harden thing. And I think the the thing with the Siakam trade is he is not good enough where you could sacrifice Maxi in that deal. Like That would have to be you get Siakam and and Maxi is still on the team. And that's the biggest reason I think it would have to be part of a multi-team Harden type trade. Yeah. And again, I just like, if you remove the off the court stuff, I I don't think they're better with Pascal Pascal Siakam than they are with James Harden. Like, I don't think if the fit is good, you talk. They're different, but yeah, I don't think they're necessary. I don't think they're as good. Um, So, I mean, look, the last time we wrapped up a pod, we thought we'd be doing a very different pod. The Sixers always keep things interesting. Um, any kind of final thoughts, other things you wanted to touch on before we uh, get out of here and see if Joel's tweeted anything else? No, I mean, so I will note one other thing. I don't know that the Nurse-Siakam relationship is that good oh, yeah, at this right. point. And that would be another thing that you'd have to factor in here. But certainly if they acquired him, they would they'd be sending the signal that they feel good enough about that relationship that they're going to put them back together. That's so I, again, we're talking a lot about soccer on the podcast lately. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that happens a lot in soccer that people don't think about as much in basketball, it's like these trades are very rarely made without a lot of behind the scenes Intel, right? It's middlemen and agents and what have you putting feelers out there. Like, how would you feel about playing with XYZ at this team? I mean, it's more obvious in the case of Dame Lillard right now where everybody essentially knows he wants to be in Miami and nowhere else. But soccer teams do it. They essentially negotiate contracts before they agree on like what the player is going to be sold yeah, the, for. the wages. They agree and on that the part is done first. And mm-hmm. it might not be like that quite to that extent in the NBA, but there is definitely a level of, there's a feeling out process. And so, you know, if we do see a Siakam partnership at some point down the road, I will say there there's likely to have been some groundwork done by people who I'm not even aware of their existence. Is what I, would <laughs> I say. always think, and it's true, definitely in soccer, true in the NBA. And I know it's true in the NFL. By the time like the general public like finds out about something like a Schefter report or whatever, it's been the case for so long already. Like if all of a sudden they tweet like, Hey, Siakam's available in a trade. That means every single team was well aware Siakam was available for a trade. And for the last few weeks, they've been trying to figure out who can get him, And then that comes out. So, so I agree. Like if Siakam were to come here, I think that it would definitely be done with the idea of like, he is down to come to Philly. He's excited about the opportunity. That being said, you know, 10 minutes ago, I just went through and be like, Embiid could blow up at any moment. Harden's unhappy. (laughs) Like, so, you know, the idea of trading for someone where once again, we're talking about like, are we sure he wants to be here? Super not ideal. But we will be back 
maybe later this week. My weeks are all thrown off. Eagles training camp starts next week. So I'm very much in the preparing for that uh, mode. But we shall be here, I would think, later this week, if not very early next week. We'll see what happens between then and now. Uh, until then, make sure you're reading uh, Kyle on Philly Voice. He's got all types of good stuff, the hardened stuff, and feed breaking it down. Make sure you're checking that out. And uh, Kyle, talk to you next time, man. Talk to you guys soon.